0: Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 25. Now, the first verse of chapter 25 of the book of Numbers lets us know where Israel is in their journey to the promised land of Canaan. It says that they are in Shittim. Now, when this journey began from the base of Mount Sinai... Israel had given themselves over to worshiping idols. Moses had gone up upon Mount Sinai to receive the law, and I guess he had been gone a little too long, and they were getting a little anxious, and they gave themselves over to worshiping a golden calf. And this is how the journey began. From there, the Lord got his people, um, gave them the law yet again, gathered them together and sent them out on this journey. Now we come to the end of the journey. They're at the very border of Canaan and they're about to enter in and just to show us that it is again not according to Israel's righteousness that they are receiving this land. Sadly, yet again, we see the people of Israel giving themselves over to idolatry. And so this morning, as we turn our attention to God's Word, what we will be looking for is the end of idolatry. How will the Lord bring an end to idolatry among His people? So let us turn our attention now to the Word of God in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Hear now the Word of the Lord. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because He was jealous for His God and made atonement for the people of Israel. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Father God, we come now to You asking, Lord, that You would teach us from Your Word. For we know that each of us hold within our own hearts idols over and against You. May we be so convicted by Your Spirit that we would offer these idols unto Christ and that this day we would truly see the end of idolatry in our lives. And we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. What is idolatry? I think that for most of us, idolatry, the word idolatry, conjures up images of gold or silver statues that are revered and worshipped as a god. Idolatry is something that ancient people practice, but in the modern world, no one is truly an idol worshipper. And yet, the biblical concept of idolatry is so much more encompassing than the worship of images or statues. Listen to the words of Paul in Colossians 3. Paul says, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, idolatry runs so much deeper than bowing down to a carved image, so much so that we could argue we all suffer from the temptation of idolatry. John Calvin once famously wrote, the human heart is a factory of idols. The statues and images that we make are just merely an outward growth of the idols that live within the human heart. For the sin of idolatry is not primarily about a statue of gold. Rather, the sin of idolatry is primarily about the rejection of the one true God. Listen to a handful of definitions of idolatry. Greg Beale says that idolatry is whatever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security. Brian Rosner says, idolatry is an attack on God's exclusive rights to our love, trust, and obedience. And A.J. Motner says, idolatry is whatever claims the loyalty that belongs to God alone. You see, God has made a covenant promise to the people of Israel that is summed up as, I will be your God and you will be my people. Nevertheless, idolatry is the counter-proclamation. It is us saying, you will not be my God and I will not belong to you alone. Sure, a golden calf is not a temptation to most of us to cling to for ultimate security. Yet our hearts will pump out idols from any number of life's blessings. We can turn our spouse, our children, our jobs, our health, our possessions, our ease, our entertainment. We can turn a noble cause, a moral code, or even a brand of theology into an idol that takes the place of God. We take the blessings of life and we give them our love, we give them our obedience, so much so that they can take the place of God as our ultimate love. Our passage for this morning is about idolatry and about its end. That is, it is a passage that teaches us where idolatry leads. If we follow the path of idolatry, where will it end? Where will it take us? but it is also a passage on how idolatry must come to an end. That is, how we will put a stop to idolatry in the life of God's people. How idolatry will be defeated. Each one of us here, whether we are a Christian or not, a believer or a doubter, convinced or agnostic, each one of us who are here this morning, has a desire for security and love. A desire to have access to a power that can control our environment and preserve our life. And whether you are conscious of it or not, you are giving your love, your trust, and your obedience to something. Something that you trust to give you life. And this morning, we will see how trusting anything other than the one true God will end in death. But if we give our trust over to the Lord, we will see an end of idolatry. Now the first commandment says that we are not to have any other gods beside the God of the Bible. Deuteronomy 6, 4-5 through says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The God of Israel is claiming exclusive rights to be Israel's God. This is not an open relationship. There are not to be other gods. The covenant relationship between the Lord and Israel is like a marriage. One God, one people. So to violate this relationship by seeking other gods, to violate it by giving over your love and trust and worship to anything or anyone other than the Lord, is adultery. It's cheating on God. This is what we see in verses 1-3 through of our text. There we read, The people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. Now, throughout God's law, Israel was warned not to marry outside of the people of God. Because the end of such unions would be spiritual adultery. Israel was physically tempted by the Moabite women and so pursued an adulterous relationship with them. As the text indicates, this union led the people to the idolatry of worshiping the Moabite gods. And in doing so, they are unified to the false god Baal of Peor. You see, physical adultery led to spiritual adultery. Being yoked to a Moabite woman will lead to being yoked to her gods. Now, a simple reading of the broader context shows us that the issue in Numbers twenty five is not a racial issue, but rather a religious issue. There is an entire book that extols, that praises the relationship between an Israelite man and a Moabite woman, the book of Ruth. The difference between that relationship and the incident with Baal of Peor is that Ruth, the Moabite woman, had dedicated herself to the Lord, had joined herself to the people of Israel, and through faith in the one true God was joined to the people of Israel. You see, God is not interested in what we might call racial purity. That's not what this is about. He is interested in spiritual purity. He desires his people to love him alone. And this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Baliel? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make My dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be My people. Do you see the connection? Idolatry is a violation of our covenant relationship with the Lord to be His exclusive people and He our exclusive God. The end of idolatry. What it leads to is adultery. It's not a neutral issue. This means that we cannot pursue ultimate security and satisfaction in anything other than the Lord. For when we go after the idols of this world, we are committing spiritual adultery. We're violating our covenant relationship with the Lord. And therefore, we must run from it. We must completely weed idolatry out of our lives. Just think about this for a moment. Your spouse wouldn't appreciate you saying, Hey, it's just a little bit of adultery. Don't worry about it. It's not much. And when we give our hearts over to anything but the Lord, we are turning away from our covenant relationship with God. For God is jealous of any idolatry in our life because the end of idolatry is spiritual adultery. Steve Jobs, the founder and former CEO of Apple Computer, had a strong idol in his life. Strangely enough, it wasn't technology or even success, but seemingly, The biggest idol in Job's life was food. Throughout his life, he sought to restrict and control his diet in various and often extreme ways. He would go for long periods of time only eating one or two types of food. Apples or carrots for weeks on end. He attempted to be a fruititarian which meant that he ate nothing but what a plant produced. He wouldn't eat the leaves or the stalk or anything, and of course, no animal products. Combined with this diet, he would fast for long periods of time. Food was an idol. And it led him to excessive and strange behaviors. And some of these behaviors were extremely damaging to his life and health. It is said that he would eat so many carrots that he would actually get an orange hue in his skin. He believed that because he didn't eat meat, he didn't need deodorant and didn't need to shower regularly. According to his co-workers, this theory was flawed. <laughs> Ultimately, when Jobs developed pancreatic cancer, he believed that food that his control over food would deliver him from death and so he delayed having the surgery that every medical doctor said that he needed to have and ultimately he lost his life you see we can pursue and give our ultimate security to just about anything We can make an idol out of any of the Lord's blessings that He gives to us. And we believe that these idols will give us life, that they will give us control, that they will give us fulfillment. But ironically, our idols will not end in the life and security that they promise, but rather, the end of idolatry is death. In verses 4-9, through we see this truth exemplified. For the result of Israel's idolatry led to capital punishment to be executed by the civil authorities in Israel and divine punishment executed through a plague on the people. So in verse 5, we read of the civil punishment. It says, And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And in verse 9, we see the divine punishment Judgment. Those who died by the plague were 24,000. This is a hard text for us to absorb. The hanging of idolaters, Phinehas's spearing of the adulterous couple, 24,000 people dying in a plague. Just because they worshipped a false God? We don't want to accept that this is justice. We don't want to believe that the end of idolatry is death. And yet, was this not the original temptation of the enemy? When Eve saw the fruit of the tree, she saw that it was good for food, she saw that it was pleasing to the eye, and that it would provide wisdom. And what did the enemy say to her? He said, You will not surely die. Yes, the Word of God said that the judgment for idolatry is death, but God is lying. You will not surely die. You're not going to die if you replace God with something else. You're not going to die if you worship some other god. Go for it. Pursue what looks good. Give yourself to what tastes wonderful. It will not lead to the death that the Word of God says it will. But this is a lie. Idolatry always leads to death. But not merely physical death, but spiritual death. Because the end of idolatry is adultery. It leads to separation between us and our God. A rupture of the relationship between us and our Lord. And separation from God is death. For a period of time, the people of God lived under the civil authority of a theocracy. That means that civil and corporal punishments were to be executed for religious violations. And the religious institution itself held civil power. So Moses and Phineas were both, in this, in this uh, text were both acting according to their designated civil authority within the theocracy of Israel, not as individual vigilantes or religious fanatics. These punishments of physical death were designed to show the people of Israel a spiritual reality that the end of idolatry is spiritual death. But now the theocracy of Israel has been fulfilled in the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God. And He rules and reigns from above. The church does not exercise uh, civil authority. The state alone has the right of the sword. And therefore we have no right to execute physical punishments against people for religious violations. Nevertheless, the church does exercise spiritual authority in which discipline for idolatry can ultimately lead to exclusion from the people of God. To show that the end of idolatry is separation from God. Idols often begin as good things. Blessings from the Lord. But can quickly turn into replacements for God. He gives the blessing of food, but soon it becomes obsession with control or extreme indulgence. He gives us the blessing of wealth, but soon it becomes materialism in which happiness is predicated on consuming more and more stuff. He gives us the blessing of children, but soon their wants and their desires trump your relationship with God, trump your involvement in the body of Christ. He gives us the joy of physical union between a husband and a wife, but soon physical pleasure leads to deviant behaviors and pornographic obsessions. He gives us health and vitality, but quickly it becomes vanity. And we pursue these idols believing that they will give us life and satisfaction. But in the end, they only produce death. So do not listen to the enemy. Listen to the Word of God. Heed the warning, for the end of idolatry is death. So then, how does this cycle end? Idolatry leads to spiritual adultery, which leads to separation from God, which is death. So how will idolatry end? Well, if you look at verses 10-13, through 13, we will see the end of idolatry is atonement. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back My wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with My jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in My jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Phineas, as the priest, held civil authority to execute divine justice upon the idolaters. And in the execution of divine justice, he brought an end to the wrath of God against the people of Israel. The text says that he made atonement for the people of Israel through his actions. Now to atone means to bring reconciliation between two estranged parties. It is an action that will bring union between two who are in the midst of conflict. There's a conflict between two people and they're estranged from each other. And to atone means to do something that will bring them back together. So in our current context, Israel is estranged from the Lord because they've committed spiritual adultery with Baal of Peor. How are the two to be brought back together? Yet when the priest executed divine justice upon the idolaters, his action brought about reconciliation. It brought peace. And this is how the adultery and death of idolatry come to an end. Through atonement. That is, through the execution of divine justice against the offending party. And once atonement is made, there is peace. The end of the death and separation between God and His people that is caused by idolatry can only be overcome through atonement, through the execution of divine justice. And here we see that in offering Himself upon the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself to be such an atoning sacrifice to bring about reconciliation between God and His wayward people. For we read in Colossians 1.22, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, we are alienated from God, we're separated from God, we're hostile in mind, we're dead in our sins, in our trespasses, he says doing evil deeds, Christ has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. You see, in His death upon the cross, the guilt of our idolatry was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And in His body, divine justice was executed. He took on our sin of idolatry. He took on the death that we deserved so that we might be brought back into relationship with God. Atonement was made through the shedding of His blood so that idolatry might come to an end. So that we who were wayward, unfaithful, might be betrothed to Christ as a pure and spotless virgin yet again. You see, the end of all idolatry is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is where the death of our idolatry is defeated in His body. And this is where the adultery of our idolatry is cleansed by His blood. You see, the priest Phineas executed divine justice by bringing death upon the offender. But our priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, received the divine justice for our sin in His own body that it might pass over us and that we might be reunited with God through the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ that idolatry ends. In the book of Hosea, the Lord calls the prophet Hosea to marry an adulterous woman named Gomer. Hosea is faithful to the Lord and marries this woman and they have children together. Yet, according to her character, Gomer runs away from Hosea and follows after other lovers. Now, according to the law, Hosea had every right to cast her away, to divorce her through her her adulterous relationship. She had brought a breach in their relationship. But the Lord commands Hosea, go again Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Why did God command Hosea to pursue an adulterous wife? Why did He command him to bring her back to himself after she went after others? It was to show His people that though they pursue other gods, though they pursue the idols of this world, He will not abandon His people or leave them. But He will bring them back to Himself through Christ and say yet again, You are My people. And in response, through Christ, they will say, And You are our God. What idols in this world have you been pursuing? What have you loved and obeyed above the Lord God? Has it been your career? Giving all your time and energy to make it to the next promotion? Has it been your children sacrificing time and money to ensure that these little ones get every opportunity to excel in sports, to excel in music, to excel in academics? Has it been a political cause Placing all of your emotions and hopes and identity and seeing a particular agenda passed, our candidate win, Or has it been in yourself? Doing whatever it takes to ensure that you get what you need, no matter the cost to others. I warn you, that these pursuits will only lead to death. So here is the question. Will they end in your death? in separation from God? Or will they end in the death of Christ, an atoning sacrifice to reconcile you to God? He is pursuing you, His wayward wife. He loves you and is calling you back to Himself. Lay down your idols to the cross of Christ and once again live in the blessing of God's covenant to you. For He says to His people, I will be your God, and you will be my people through Christ Jesus alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, yet again we come to You asking that You would put an end to idolatry in the life of us, Your people, that we might turn to Christ alone and worship and honor Him, trusting Him to be our God. We pray it through Christ's holy name. Amen.